You're listening to a podcast by Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, wherever or however you're listening to this, our hope is that this message is encouraging, it's challenging, and it inspires you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's check it out. Well, I want to welcome you to part three of The Money Gap. You know, in part one, we talked about how that we bank in heaven, that we lay up treasure in heaven. Now, the idea that Jesus was communicating in the Gospel of Matthew when he said, lay up treasure in heaven, he was teaching us there in chapter 6 that, that we do it for this life, that we are laying up for ourselves. In other words, you are able to tap into the blessings of God by laying up treasures in heaven at a far greater capacity than people who don't lay up treasures in heaven. And we gave you several illustrations of people who had laid up treasures in heaven and how it bought them influence. That's what Christ is teaching us to do. Do your banking in heaven. When we are generous and when we give, money flows more freely to us than when we're stingy. The second lesson is that we talked about Abraham and the way that God got money to Abraham. We learned that money flows through channels that Abraham had streams of income, Genesis 13, 2. And Abram was very rich in cattle and in silver and gold. And at the end of last week's lesson, I hinted at the fact that if you want money, you have to convert money from primary resources. And there are four primary resources. Money is not a primary resource. A primary resource is something that we start with. You never start with money. There are four things you do start with, and I'll get into those. But I want to show you some things about the way that money flows. And this is important because a lot of people think that money ought to flow like salvation. And salvation is completely a work of grace. Money is a part of the grace program. But it's not totally a work of grace. And there's a process by which we receive money. So I want to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll begin with verse 11. I'm also going to read verses 17, 18. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today. Now, Here's what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, when you remember God's Word, you will think right about money. That's what he's saying. He said, then don't say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. That's a process. God doesn't give us wealth. It's not totally an act of grace. It's not something that just rains on us from heaven. God gives us the power to receive wealth. Now, financial blessing is not entirely the work of God, nor is it entirely the work of man. It's a partnership that began in the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to explain how this partnership works It's different from salvation. Your salvation is 100% a work of grace, but your money is a mixture of grace and works. Listen to Proverbs 10.4. He who has a slack hand 
becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He tells you very clearly that work and money are inextricably linked. If you're going to have money, you've got to know how to work. So the Christ follower who expects money to flow on the basis of faith alone is in for a rude awakening. Man, when I was young and I just got uh, saved and began to read about how God wanted to bless us financially and I, I, I was learning how to have faith, I prayed for money, but I didn't get any. But here's what happened. Within two or three days of my prayer, I got a job. And I got a job I shouldn't have got. I, I was not legally old enough to have the job, but they changed the rules so that I could get in and go to work at this company. And I made a good salary that summer working at that company between my junior and senior year of high school. And so I had to work, but God answered my prayer. And the two of these things work together. And I learned something, that money is not just faith, and it's not just works. It's a mixture of the two. He gives you the power to get wealth. So we don't forget the Lord because he's working while we're working. Now, there was a friend of mine who went to Bible school, and he was lined up at the pay window one day to pay his tuition. And the guy ahead of him didn't have the money. He was sweating bullets. He got up to the window, was about to explain why he couldn't pay the bill. He didn't yet have a job. And they told him, they said, you don't owe us anything. Your tuition has been paid. He starts shouting. He's praising God. And my buddy steps up and he's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm hoping they're going to tell me my tuition's been paid. They said, no, this is what you owe. And he had to fork out his checkbook and he had to pay the bill himself. And he walked away thinking that somehow he wasn't as strong in faith as the first guy. Well, I got to tell you, I think he was as strong in faith, if not stronger, because he had already begun to learn the lesson that money is a partnership between you and God. Yes, you believe God, but at the same time, there's a part that you have to play in the process. Now, Jesus talks about this, and I believe that there are a lot of God's people who are what I would call grace-only money thinkers. They think that money flows simply because you pray for it. We know better. But this is what Jesus said about this. Luke 16, 8. He said, for the men of the world, in dealing with their fellow men, act with more business sense than those who have the light. Wow. Jesus said, most of the time, the people in the world have more business sense than we believers do. Why is that? Because they're not expecting anything by grace. They know that if they are going to get money, they're going to have to do something to get that money. It's not just going to come to them. Unfortunately, they cut God totally out of the process. But when it comes to business sense, they typically have more business sense than we do. We need to have that God sense and business sense. And let me show you what I mean here. Money is something that flows through people. Your salvation comes directly from God. It's a thing between you and God. You and God wrap up your salvation. There's nobody else weighing in on that. It's you and God. But when it comes to money, you have to realize your money is in the hands of other people. And if other people are not motivated 
to put money into your hands, you're not going to get it. And they're not going to get up in the morning thinking about ways to get you their money. I'll say that all through this series, and it needs to be repeated. People do not get up in the morning thinking about ways to get you their money. If they give you money, there's a reason for it. And so the Scripture teaches us that this is another relationship. We have a relationship with God, but we've got a relationship with people when it comes to money. Now, you see this in the life of Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you the whole of the land of Canaan. He didn't just say, I'm going to give it to you. He said, I have given it to you. He said, walk through the north, the south, the east, the west, everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given unto you. But Abraham, after several years of living in the land of Canaan, let's see, he's 137 years old, his wife dies, he's been there since he was 75, so he's uh, 25, 37, add that up, 62. 62 years he's been in the land of Canaan, and now he has to go pay for the cave that he's going to bury his wife in. God said, I have given you the land. But guess what? There's a Canaanite, a Hittite actually, a guy named Ephron, who owns this field that Abraham wants to use to bury his wife, so he's got to pay 400 shekels of silver to get this. So we see that there's this promise from God, and there is this dealing with man. Now, eventually, Abraham's descendants would come and take over the whole of the land, and they would experience everything that God promised to Abraham. But until that time, Abraham had to deal with God, and he had to deal with people. Now, God separates the operation of salvation and financial blessing. I want to show you 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this one. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she's done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers? Has she served other Christians humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? Now, this is interesting to me. This woman is a believer, but she's not to be helped financially unless she meets seven different requirements. And these seven things that are stated here have to do with her relations with people. And so, yes, she's saved. There's no question about whether or not she's going to heaven. She's in the church. She's a widow in the church. But if she's going to receive money every month from the church for support, she has to have demonstrated seven different behaviors. And so money is a matter of relationship with God and what we do with our fellow man. Now, I got a great friend named Mike Heron, and Mike is a wonderful businessman. And Mike has a real burden for Central America, and he's made many, many, many mission trips to Central America. And he told me, he said, I kept going to Central America, and he said it was the same thing every time. He said, I go down, and people are hurting, they're in trouble, and they come forward, and they pray, they're crying, we win them to Christ. We go back on the next trip, and the same thing's happening again, and we keep caking clothes and food and supplies. But he said, I know there's a problem. And he said, there's extreme poverty. And, and he said, what we're doing is we're teaching these people to wait on American handouts. And he said, I got sick of it. He said, it's not that I don't care about the people, but he said, I knew there had to be something better. 
So he took stock of where he was, and he realized that the best thing that he could do for these people was to get them little plots of land, which he could buy for not a whole lot of money, and then he found the best coffee grower in the region. And he brought that guy in to do seminars and to teach people how to grow coffee. Mike set these people up in business. He paid for them to start growing coffee plants, and he guaranteed them a certain price for their coffee beans. I drink Mike's coffee every morning. And you know what I love about it? I love the fact that Mike has brought all of these people out of poverty because he gave them a business where they could make their own money. Instead of just giving them money over and over again, he set them up and then created an economic system where everybody involved is being blessed. And Mike's business out of Birmingham, Alabama called Nonfiction Coffee Company is one of my favorite projects to support. And they, they, they supply coffee to churches all over America. And what it's doing is going to believers who go to local churches in the different countries of Central America, and they pay tithes and they support their pastors, and it's a marvelous system. That's what God wants. There's a Godward side to money, and there's a manward side to money. People don't just get up in the morning thinking about ways to give you their money. There's a reason they bring money to you. Now, money is a secondary resource. It has to be converted from a primary resource. Now, we talked about this a bit last week. Electricity is a very useful analogy. Electricity is not a primary source of energy. It comes from some other kind of power. It comes from geothermal power or solar power, wind power, hydroelectric dams, uh, uh, nuclear power, uh, thermal power, oil and natural gas, coal. All those different kinds of energy can be converted into electricity. So before someone discovered the process and the link between the primary forms of energy and electricity, which is a secondary form, it would have been stupid to get up in the morning and go out and look for electricity. In the same way, it's stupid to get up in the morning and go out and look for money. You need to think about your primary resources, and those primary resources are resources that must be converted. Now think about this. Everything you see behind me here on this set, the piano, the drums, all of the steel, the carpets, uh, the building I'm under, all of this, the lighting, every bit of the glass, all of it, it was all here in the earth when God created the Garden of Eden. But it didn't look like this. It had to be converted from another primary form. Now listen to Genesis chapter 1 verse 29. God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. God is saying, in other words, you got to use the plants. They will convert dirt and minerals into food for you. That, that fruit, that you eat, the seeds, the wheat seeds you eat, they don't just show up on the plant. They are being drawn out of the soil. The plant is designed by God to convert 
that soil and the minerals in the soil into useful fruit that you and I can eat. God put that into the hands of man and said, convert, convert, convert. Let me give it to you in another form. Genesis 2, look at verses 10, 11, and 12. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. One of these branches is the Pishon, which flows around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure, aromatic resin, and onyx stone are also found there. Here's what God is saying in Genesis early on. He's saying, look, everything you need is in the earth, but it's raw. And you have to convert the raw into the refined. And so the raw stuff is what we call a primary resource. You convert a primary resource into a secondary resource, and that's what money is. You don't just have money show up for no reason. Money follows the conversion of a primary resource. Now, I want to show you one of my favorite Bible stories that has this in it. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So what is it that this woman needed? She needed money. She desperately needed money. And the prophet didn't give her any money. Now this is interesting. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? You know what he's looking for? He's looking for a primary resource. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. You know what that jar of oil is? It is a primary resource. It's a product. That's one of the four primary resources. And she had a jar of oil. The prophet didn't give her any money. He didn't give her a dime. But what he said is do this. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and you pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. God took her primary resource and he multiplied it so that it could be converted into money. Let's keep reading. So she went from him, and she shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out, and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came, and she told the man of God, and he said, Well, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. You see, she had to learn to use a primary resource. That's always God's preference. Could God have given her money? Absolutely. But he didn't. God instead took the primary resource she had. He multiplied it. She converted that into money. Money flows through a process. He doesn't give you wealth. He gives you the power to get wealth. And we have such a part to play that if we're not careful, we drift over into this area where we think, I did this all by myself. That's the danger that Deuteronomy 8 warns us about. If we didn't have a part to play, if we weren't doing something for this, why would there be a warning telling us to for, not to forget God? 
We have a part in this process. It is a conversion process, and we have to work our part. Now, when it comes to money, God's people are asking all the wrong questions, and they're looking in all the wrong places in their search for money. And here's the wrong question. Where will I get money? If you are asking that question, you got to quit it. That's the wrong question. It's not how it works. Here's the right way to phrase the question. What do I have that can be converted into money? What do I have? There was a time in my life, and I've told this story many, many times. I needed money. I needed it desperately to fulfill the mission God gave me to go produce a curriculum for kids. I had to do a Sunday school curriculum that was going to cost me five times my annual salary. And the Holy Spirit said, you have the money. I said, I don't have the money. I don't have it. I don't have it. I went through everything I could think of. And I realized after a while, my money is in a different form and I'm not recognizing it. And when I started thinking about what I really had, I thought, I have wisdom that can be converted into dollars. And I recorded teachings on how to minister to children. And I sold that tape series at a reasonable price. And I'm telling you, it gave me the money that I needed to pay the bills to get my curriculum published. Now, I need money, but I want to get it in such a way that people who will want to come back to me again for what I have to offer. You know, this is what the Hebrew prophets had to say about it. Isaiah 60 and verse 5, last part of the verse. Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces or the resources of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Here is the prophet Isaiah using this word that I've been using, converting. He said, the wealth of the Gentiles will be converted to you. What does that mean? It means they are coming to Israel because Israel has something that they need. In effect, God is telling the people of Israel, I'm going to give you something that people are willing to pay for. So you've got to stop thinking about what you need, and you've got to ask yourself what you have now and what you have that others can benefit from. That's where money is going to come from. So let's talk about these four primary resources. Number one, work. Proverbs 14 and 23, in all labor there is profit. Profit means you're making money. Your primary resource is labor, and that's how we all start. I started with labor. I didn't start working smart. I started working physically. And there is a difference between ordinary labor and diligence. And in next week's lesson, I'm going to get into the difference because diligence pays way more than ordinary labor. But in all labor, there is profit. Labor is a primary resource that can be converted. The second primary resource is wisdom. Proverbs 8, 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. I'm thinking about two different men in my church. One of them is a doctor. Another one is an investment banker. Both of them are very wealthy. The reason they are wealthy is not because they work 120 hours a week. They don't work that much. The reason they are wealthy is not just because they work hard. They do both work hard. 
but they both have learned to specialize in certain fields. They are loaded with wisdom. The Bible says that riches and honor are with wisdom. Let me tell you what happens when you start working. I don't care who you are. You start working, if you're paying attention to your work, you will always come up with this saying, always. There has to be a better way to do this. What is that? That's wisdom. Wisdom starts taking a look at your work, and work will train you to think smarter. Now, when you go to school or you apprentice yourself like I did, I apprenticed myself to two different pastors because I could get a better education being an apprentice under two different pastors than I could at the time by going to the Bible school that, I, that was available to me. So I apprenticed myself. I learned amazing things from these guys, and I filled my head with wisdom. I raised the value of what I could offer People were willing to pay more for what I had, just like they'll pay more to a doctor than they do to a ditch digger. There's no doubt the ditch digger works harder physically, sweats more, is in more difficult conditions. But if the ditch digger messes up and hits a pipe, then we lose a little bit of water. If the doctor messes up and hits a blood vessel, we may lose a life. And so he is way more technically skilled. And that technical skill is what co commands extra money. So when you combine wisdom with labor, you really have something. It's one thing to work hard, and I believe in working hard, but it's another thing altogether to work smart. Wisdom can be converted to money. Actually, if you stop and think about it, this is the principle on which the tithe is based. You are, are, are giving money to someone for giving you the wisdom of God. Galatians chapter 6 talks about this. Let him who is taught in the Word communicate unto him who teaches in all good things. You know, a person who receives teaching and instruction but is unwilling to give is basically saying to God, God, what you teach and all of your ideas are of no value to me whatsoever. And I believe the, the greatest value of paying your tithe is wisdom. This is what I started seeing. I, I, I started seeing, you know, I've been looking for the payback in the wrong place. God was giving me wisdom, and he's giving me ideas. And can I tell you, people, ideas make the world go round. Ideas make money. People who have great ideas can put those ideas to work, and those ideas will bring you more money than you could ever imagine. But those ideas are supposed to bless and help people, and you're not using your ideas to rip people off. You're using your ideas to bless humanity. That's God's system. And so God wants to give ideas. I'm not talking about a scheme or something crooked. I'm talking about a helpful idea. Here's the third primary resource, and it is a commodity. Work, wisdom, commodity. Webster's New World College Dictionary describes it as any useful thing, anything bought and sold. I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11. Honest weights are of the Lord. You know what that means? It means that, that trade where someone is doing it right and they're not ripping people off, and the scales are accurate where they're not taking advantage of people. Commerce is of the Lord. A just weight is His delight, is what the Bible says. Uh, now, 
Now, a crooked weight, a dishonest scale is an abomination. But on the flip side, an honest scale is the delight of the Lord. God loves it when we trade. He loves it when we supply each other's needs. I, I love getting value. I love going to, say, a good tailor. And, and, and taking a suit and, or buying a suit from a store and, and they really work it right and give you good value and, and help you to look good, uh, uh, even though I don't wear suits like I used to. Uh, uh, but what I'm saying is I love those good tradesmen. I, I, I had a shoe repair guy that I used to take my shoes to all the time. And, uh, uh, man, he was amazing. Uh, a little Chinese man, and I would take my stuff to him, and he would fix it and repair it and, and did such good work, made it look like new. I, I, I just loved the whole process of dealing with him. I couldn't understand him. He spoke very broken English, but I'll tell you, this guy was an amazing craftsman, and I had nothing but the greatest admiration for what he did. Listen, when you understand how God's system works, you will never look down on any job anywhere at any time. You know who I respect greatly? My garbage men. You know, I love to tip my garbage men every Christmas. I run outside and catch them. I wait for them to come that December morning on Tuesdays when they're coming to pick up the trash. I'm waiting for them, and they know what I'm up to because I do it every single year. I put a $100 bill in the hands of every one of my garbage men, and I say thank you. I respect what you guys do. You know, think about uh, the unthankful or the thankless job that garbage men do and all that junk they've got to go through to deal with our garbage. Don't you appreciate people who do stuff like that? I do. And I have learned to value every trade, every laborer, every skill. Look up to people who work and, and learn the value of that. Good trade is ordained of God. Commodities. Now here's what I learned. I learned that this product, when I create it, keeps making me money when I'm asleep. And I learned that if I was going to build a ministry that would reach children all over America, I had to have enough money to pay for the television production. And I couldn't do it with salary alone. And I couldn't do it with offerings alone. You know, back in the day, 1991 is when this happened. This was the peak of my kid's TV show, Gospel Bill. And in those days, we did about $3 million a year, which was not a, a, a very large amount for all that we got done. 94% of my money came from the sales of a product. Only 6% came from offerings. And I know there were people who said, you know, you shouldn't sell all this stuff. You should be giving away. Well, if I had given it all away, we would never have made it because the gifts back to us were, were never there. And I'll tell you why. People don't give big to kids' causes. Even the great children's hospitals that do great work, amazing work, they melt your heart when you look at their commercials. They'll never ask you for more than $20 a month. They're very careful about that because they know that people will not give big sums of money. Elementary schools understand this. They know big sums of money don't come to them. Colleges and universities, they get the big bucks. But the younger the person, the less money goes. We give pocket change to our kids to give in the offerings. I had to learn how to sell things and to create commodities that people were willing to buy at a fair price. And I'm so glad I did because I've helped all the people of our church develop great businesses with these ideas. And then here's the last thing. Capital. 
Capital is extra money, money that you have saved that you can now put to work investing in a company or in a savings account. Uh, and, and in some of the way, Jesus put his stamp of approval on this, and I'm going to talk about it at great length next week. But these are the four C's, these primary resources. First of all, there is work, there is wisdom, there are commodities, and there is capital. Now, not everybody has capital in the beginning, but we want to get you to that place. You need to develop this idea that you can have capital. You can set aside money. And you know what it is? It's mindset. It's not about how much money you have. I never had a savings account until I determined to have a savings account. I didn't think I could afford a savings account until I decided to afford a savings account. And we're going to get into this because God wants to bless you in your savings account and He can't multiply what you don't have. If you'll have one, He'll multiply it for you, but you got to get it started. We're going to talk about this at length in our next week's message. But here's the idea. And this is the principle underlying all of this. The conversion of a primary resource is how God is going to get money to you. Money is not just going to show up mysteriously at your door. It won't happen. There is a reason why money will come to you. And when you stop and think about it, you will convert either work or some wisdom or a commodity, or an investment into more money. That's how it's going to come. That's God's way of getting money to you. And it, all of these four ways are things that He has ordained in the Bible, and there are things that He blesses. So plug into this and get ready for more. We're going to really do some digging next week. Thanks for listening to the Church on the Move podcast. You can stay connected with us at churchonthemove.com or by following us on Instagram. Our mission at Church on the Move is simple. We want to introduce people to the real Jesus by helping them know God, grow in freedom, discover purpose, and go make a difference in their communities. If you're in the Tulsa area, we would love to have you join us at any of our campuses this weekend. You can check out churchonthemove.com for campus locations and times. We hope to see you soon.